So you've seen the astronaut and maybe you're thinking like I was when I first saw it. Why an astronaut? This just seems a little bit odd to me. We're talking about patriarchs, people that live like 3,000 years ago. How does this make any sense? Well, being an astronaut, space travel is one of the most dangerous forms of transportation with the highest mortality rate. And so it must be one of the most fearful and anxious things a person could willingly choose to do. And so we're, we're talking about these patriarchs, these patriarchs that we see their failing, we see their shortcomings, but we also see these moments in their lives uh, where God calls them to go out, where God calls them to go beyond, where God has put them and go into fear-filled and anxious situations that he may accomplish their will, his will in their lives. So this morning we're talking about Moses. And as we talk about Moses, we're talking about a redemption of the past. And, and as we look at Moses, we don't look at Moses because he's such a great example. We look at Moses because we see God's hand at work in his life. And so as I think about Moses and, and what happened in his past and what was done to him, I wonder this question. A question that I ask myself and one that I think this story asks of all of us. What defines you? Uh, what about your life defines who you are? Whether it was where you are born, where you're from, how you were raised. Maybe it's ethnicity. Uh, maybe it's, it's something that you did. Or something that was done to you or happened to you. Words like divorced or widow or foster kid speak of something that has happened in the past that, that now defines a little bit of who you are. And so we're going to look at the story of Moses. And I, I have to admit, until I watched Robin teach on this video and, and share some of her story, I, I kind of looked at the story of Moses as kind of a, a Disney story. It's something that would fit just fine in a Disney cartoon. Princess comes and saves this little baby boy at the river, and everything turns out great. He's adopted into a royal family. Isn't that wonderful and nice? And I forgot. I forgot that this entire scene happens because of a jealous and fearful Pharaoh who set about to conduct a nationwide genocide. He attempts to genocide an entire people group, and because of that, Moses' family is afraid for their lives and for his life, and they say, so hide him, and then eventually they, they have to put him in the river, almost abandon him, leave him for someone else, and he's adopted. And so there's all this trauma and garbage going on. And that's when these words from Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, struck me. And find those written in your bulletin. We'll be picking up a couple of those verses there that are written down. And then also I want to share with you uh, some words from Stephen as he recounts the story of Moses thousands of years later. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Think about that for a moment. His very name, 
His very name is about what was done to him. He's defined by what he's done to him. Every time he hears his name, he's reminded that my family left me and I was adopted into another family. I am named because of what was done to me. I am named because of attempted genocide. And in his name brings up all of that garbage that comes along with what took place. And so that leads me to ask the next question. The next question is, what do we do to try and redeem our past? I don't know about you, but when it comes to me and my life, I look back on my life and I want to I prove some things about myself. I want to prove that, I, that I'm worthy, that I'm good. And sometimes that leads to posturing, kind of pretending that everything's okay when it's really not and so we put up walls and we put up defenses and we want to pretend that everything's good and that we're better and that we're rising above it. It leads us to position ourselves in relationships in ways that we keep people a little bit at distance so they can't see all of us and see the real hurts and the real pains. And all of this is done in order to win approval, to be accepted, to, to feel like we belong, to feel like we are someone important. And so we're going to look at kind of the meat of Moses' life and how Moses tries to deal with his conflict in his own heart. How he wrestles with this whole issue of where I'm from and who I really am and how do I prove myself. So we'll see how this plays out in the life of Moses. Look at Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And so Moses goes out, and he sees something. He sees that he's not quite Egyptian, he's not quite Israelite, and so he thinks that God has put him in this place where it's my responsibility and my opportunity to step into this gap and to fill this void and to fix this problem. And he looks out and he says, this is not right. I can stand up right here, right now, and do something. And here's something that I think we need to keep in mind as we see this story move forward is that God will not lead us as his people to accomplish his will in a manner that is opposed to his way. Let me say that again. God will not lead us as his people to accomplish his will in a manner that is opposed to his way. Verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. And here's what I think is, is just an amazing thing and an incredible thing when you start to think about Moses and think about him being called one of God's prophets is that he saw. He saw from a distance God's plan for his life. He saw what was to come. He saw what God would eventually have him do. And yet he tried to accomplish it in his own way and his own time. And he used the means of the world. Blaise Pascal, famous scientist, said, human beings are the glory and the garbage of the world. And here in Moses' life, 
and throughout his life, you see the garbage come out. When, when Moses can't take the people anymore, when Moses can't take the situation, and he lashes out in a destructive way, a, a way that doesn't reflect the image of God, that doesn't reflect the will of God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we look within ourselves, you can see that that's a little bit true about us too. That we are the glory of the world. We were, we were created in the image of God and we do incredible things, great things, wonderful things. But we also do incredibly hurtful things. Oftentimes, the people that are closest to us, the people that we are supposed to love the most, and so we're the glory and the garbage of the world. And here we see the garbage coming out in Moses. So we continue on in Acts chapter 7. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian. And as this story takes shape, here's an interesting thought that I came across that, that I think is very interesting for us to take into our lives. As we think about where God is leading us and when we look at the trail and we're not sure where we're going, and that is this, that everything we do is part of God's plan. Everything we do is part of God's plan, yet we are never coerced and are completely responsible for our actions. We are given free will, and, and in that free will, God even sees that and uses that and knows where we're headed and is able to, to use the circumstances of our lives to mold us and shape us for greater purpose. It's interesting when you think about Moses running off to Eden. You wonder if he kind of had this question. The question, is God done with me? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought, like, I've gotten as far as I've gotten and, and now God's done with me? Maybe God isn't going to do with my life what he thought he was. I know that I've wondered that question. Hit a place in my ministry where I've thought maybe I wasn't meant to do this thing of being a pastor. I know I hit that point when I was going to seminary and failed out of my first vicarage. You know the odds of passing seminary after failing your first vicarage? 5%. <laughs> I thought, man, I really blew this thing. Maybe it's over. Maybe what I thought God wanted for my life, He didn't want for my life. Have you ever wondered that? I think that's exactly what, what Moses was probably thinking as he's running away from Egypt, making this long journey to Midian. God is done with me. I thought God wanted me to, to use me to deliver His people, and yet that didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. So I'm running away. I'm giving up. I'm throwing in the towel. And yet in this story, we see that God is still at work. 
God is still at work shaping the heart of Moses for his purposes. I'm going to take you to Exodus uh, chapter 2. You can read along uh, with it in the handout that you received this morning. Uh, From chapter 2, verse 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs of water their father's flock. But some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up came to their rescue, and watered their flock. This is an amazing little story that that you see the turn in Moses' heart. See, Moses doesn't do this to posture, to pretend, to prove himself, to win approval. He just simply does what is right. He does what is right, not for anything for himself but because he sees someone being oppressed, because he sees something wrong. And so he does something right simply to do what is right. And we see that here God has started to shape Moses' heart just by a little bit. And it's this incredible story because Moses does this, waters the flock, the women and the herds go away, and Moses stays by the well. And the women get back home and they say, he, the father asks them, why are you back so quick? And they say, well, this guy helped us. And he kind of looks around and he's like, well, where is he? Bring him back. Moses just did what was right to do what was right. And so in this little instance, we see that by God's grace, Moses' life isn't defined by his past, only shaped by it in order to accomplish God's purposes. The same is true of you. Your past only shapes you. It only shapes you for what God has designed you for, what He has created you for. It does not define you. You are a child of God. You are a child of God on high, the King of the universe. That is what defines you. You are His child. And He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And at times for us as people, it can be hard to see, impossible to see. But as we read the story of Moses, God is inviting us to trust Him. To trust those those things, those hard things of our lives. that, That they aren't the thing that defines us, but rather they shape us and they prepare us. For what God means to do in us and through us. And that's when the story gets really interesting. And most of this story, I would imagine most of you know, God shows up and says, All right, Moses, 40 years have passed. It's time to go back. That thing you thought you were supposed to do, now's the time. And you know what Moses was probably thinking? God, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I'm settled now. I've got a family. I've got a flock. I've got a father-in-law. Things are good. I don't want to go back. I remember those people. None of them liked me. Nobody listened to. Not my own people. Not Everybody wanted me dead. You want me to go to them. You've got to be kidding. Talk about walking into a fear-filled and anxious environment. 
And as I thought about that and the background of Moses' story, I started to understand a little bit more why Moses argued a little bit with God. The time has passed. I don't want to do it. And yet God continues to invite him and say, I will go with you. And Moses listens. And Moses goes. And because Moses listens and Moses goes and he follows God's word and doesn't try to do it his own way, but rather trusts God, he ends up rescuing the people of Israel. And at times you see the garbage come up in Moses' life again. And in this process of rescuing things, he doesn't do everything right. But he points us to a greater rescuer. A greater rescuer who had no garbage, who only was filled with glory. And this rescuer comes and wherever he goes, he sets things right. He does the right thing. Not because of how it will benefit him, but because of who he is. And ultimately, this rescuer that is full of glory, that shows us what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, he takes our garbage so that we can bear his glory, so that his grace and his love can shine through us. See, what's true of Moses, I believe, is true of us. And true of our God today, just as God intervened in the life of Moses to use Moses to make it so his past only shaped who he was, not defined it. So our God intervenes in our lives so that our past shape us for God's purposes in our world. And now I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, that sounds great, but what does that look like? How is that practical in my life? I want to share a couple of stories in closing with you. Uh, one that I heard uh, this past week and one that I was reminded of. First story has to do with a man who is a, a man like a macho man, one that most of us as men would aspire to be like. In the military, a, a hero, special forces, 300 pounds of hulking, invincible muscle. Goes to war, survives battle after battle, comes back, rescues people, saves people, does his job until one day his tank is hit by an IED. The tank flips, lands on top of him, crushing his legs. The man spends a year in the hospital, is divorced. His wife leaves him during this, and he was angry at God. The best description anyone could come up with for him would be an angry atheist. Well, this man ends up at a camp, a camp for disabled kids, a Christian camp for disabled kids. Their standards for counselors were very, very high. And so he's in the cabin one night doing the cabin discussion with the kids. And the first question is, do you believe you'll go to heaven? And there's this one kid in the cabin, this one kid in the cabin that because of his disability, he struggles to speak. Struggles to speak 
let alone be able to put together an entire sentence. And this kid answers that question, yes, absolutely. So this man kind of floored that this kid would be able to say that. He says, how do you know? He says, because Jesus is my Savior. A kid that struggles to speak says that clear as a bell. And those words pierce that man's heart. That this kid would hold on to something so strongly and it transformed that broken man's heart and his life. And that man went to study to be a pastor. The other person I want to introduce you to is Joshua Jank. Uh, Joshua Jank um, is 23 now. Uh, he entered hospice care on August 20th in 2013 because of a liver condition destroying his lungs. Born with sickle cell anemia and Asperger's, Joshua had a small stroke when he was five. That stroke made Joshua a frequent flyer at hospitals requiring monthly transfusions. To say the least, Joshua had a hard life. When he was put on hospice care, he realized that he had something to share. He realized that, that he had something that he still wanted to give. And he realized his days were precious and short. So he started this thing with red diamonds. And he'd go up to people and he'd say, I'd like to give you this diamond. And he would say that as he put it in their hands and he cradled their hands, whether it was an old friend or a new friend. And he would say, it's red because I love you. Love matters. Love in a way that makes a difference. It's a diamond because God does great things with heat and pressure. He does his best work when life is the hardest. Don't forget that. Okay? He started this six years ago with the goal of passing out 100,000 little red diamonds. He's passed that by far now. We're doing our part today. We're going to hand out uh, 1,100 of them as you leave church today. And so as you go out, we've got a little slip of paper that tells you what to do with it and uh, also a couple of red diamonds to take with you. So my question in closing is this. Will you hear God's call? Will you trust that God is not done with you yet? Will you trust Him in the hard things and the good things that God is at work? Will you believe that your past doesn't define you, but that it shapes you for what God is going to do with you in the future? Amen. As the band comes up, um, will you guys join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, it's hard to trust you in even the good things of our lives, but Lord, you invite us to trust you in the hard things, in the difficult things of life. 
Lord, in those moments, help us to know, help us to see, help us to trust that you are grinding us, that you are shaping us into something marvelous and wonderful for your kingdom. Lord, will you use us? Will you use us for your purposes in this world that we can make a difference by your grace? Lord, help us to see those places to which you are calling us. Amen.